Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Prashad. What's up, y'all? Rashad, compulsive overeater. Congrats on the chip, taker. Welcome if you're new, if you feel new. Happy birthday. You should be up here. You should just, just ask yourself. Um, yeah, Rashad, compulsive overeater. Happy birthday. Um, I'm powerless over food. My life is unmanageable. Um, shout out to Lillian in the room. I, uh, I feel bad Lillian asked me to speak. Uh, at a different big meeting, and I wasn't feeling really good spiritually, and uh, I said no. You know, I've been in this phase where I've been turning uh, speaks down, and I tried to say no here, too. I tried to say no here, too. Leslie and Kiko, we're we're not having it. (laughs) Um, But um, I'm grateful for those long-timers in the room that sometimes scare us and sometimes say those things we need to hear. And um, I'm grateful for the reminder and the uh, ask to just show up as I am one day at a time. So, um, yeah, I'm here. I actually read the For Today today, which is my favorite piece of literature aside from the big book. And uh, the little message at the bottom says, it's my responsibility to carry the message of spiritual awakening and recovery to compulsive overeaters wherever they may be. So uh, I hear my higher power speaking through the rooms. I hear, you know, I hear the voice of my higher power through other people. And um, it's usually I get the signal in more than one place. You know, I hear I hear the words repeated. And um, so, you know, I, I the universe is telling me I'm in the right place at the right time, despite how adequate or inadequate I might feel at the moment. Um, I'm just here. I'm here. And thank you for asking me to speak at your other meeting. And uh, I'm so sorry that I wasn't in a place to say yes. Um, yeah, I've told my story so many times. I'm so sorry. I'm so tired of uh, repeating it. But I know it's important uh, to identify. Um, you know, I basically, it's my belief that I came out like this. I came out a compulsive overeater. My mom says I was pretty aggressive during the breastfeeding uh, years of my life. Uh, it's a true story. Uh, it's funny, but it's a true story. So it's my kind of belief that I, uh, I came out like this. Um, the facts are um, that I was born into a family of, of this ism in multiple different ways. Uh, my father was um, a crack addict. My uh, grandfather died from alcoholism. Um, I, I didn't know it until I came to OA. I didn't know the language, but my mother was a bulimic most of my life. Um, a lot of obesity and diabetes and, and things of that nature. Um, my uncle, I shouldn't share everybody else's story, but uh, yeah, let me, let me keep it on my story. But um, I, I'll just say it like this. I'll summarize it by saying I came into a family um, where there was disease, this ism, and sort of everybody, all of my immediate relatives. Um, you guys have taught me that that's not what necessarily makes me a compulsive overeater. 
what makes me a compulsive overeater is is that when I put certain substances into my body, um, the, I get that that allergic reaction and that phenomenon of craving. You know, that phenomenon of craving in my brain starts, um, you know, going in a. Uh, you know how it shows up in OA is is I try to go into fix it mode myself and like despite all of my attempts, despite all of my diets, despite all of my rethinking of abstinence and food plans and all of the manipulation, like I just end up spinning my wheels and come right back uh, face to face with that with the concept with step one. You know that I'm powerless over food, and the more I try to control it in my body. Um, you know, the more on life, the more unmanageable my life is. So uh, I don't know. So much time, and I don't really want to take questions. But uh, we'll go back. The first time I remember my my food and body being an issue was sometime around the age ten. Um, I just remember going to a doctor's appointment. They said something, and uh, that's when my mother started putting me on diets and telling me certain foods were were good or bad. Um, my favorite memories as a child. Um, are like going to see my grandmother when she would make me the, um, you know, the sweet treats. Um, to qualify, uh, I'm a compulsive overeater, sugar addict. Um, I've been in this program. I had about seven years of abstinence. My um, my bottom line is is no recreational sugar. Um, but anyways, so yeah, my um, my favorite memories are like getting the sweet treats at my grandmother's house, being left alone, sneaking off to the corner store, off Figueroa, <laughs> you know, sorry if the food is triggering for anybody in the room or uh, on the podcast, this is my story, it's important to, to say it for what it is, but, you know, it's just like going to the corner store, getting the cookies, getting the Pepsi, anybody remember clear Pepsi? <laughs> you know, like cookies and cream, cookies and cream, Kit Kat bars, like... Um, you know, those are the fond memories I have. I don't remember certain people's birthdays, but I remember those, those Twinkies that I used to get at the corner store. Um, needless to say, my, my uh, weight would fluctuate between me eating a lot of sugar and, and junk food and, and my mom trying to put me on different diets and to control my body. Um, you know, fast forward, I, um, I lost a bunch of weight in high school and people treated me differently. I uh, lost my virginity. You know, I got my girlfriend for the first time. Uh, I ran with a crew of jocks, like the black uh, athletic, you know, athlete types. Um, And it was the first time I sort of uh, fit in with the crowd. And, and, um, yeah, you know, it was uh, through the combination of some, like, crazy exercise routine in the class and and, uh, a diet that my mom had put me on that consisted of eating mostly, like, bacon eggs and grapefruit or something like that um and I lost a bunch of weight it really clicked you know what really clicked for me at that moment is that people would treat me differently based on the way I looked and um you know that's important because like when I'm not connected I can see a through line um you know to the to today and when I'm not really connected to my higher power like I still get in that phase of, of trying to get that external validation and and remembering you know trying to get that little hit uh, you know, when I lost all that weight in high school and people treated me differently, you know. Um, fast forward to college, I um, I had a lot of achievement. Um, it's been told to me that people that come up where I grew up and 
come through family situations that I've come through um, usually don't make it, you know. The pathway for people like me is usually jail or death, drug abuse. Um, I somehow landed in a very wealthy suburb in Georgia and ended up going to college on an academic scholarship. And my alternative was to move back to South Central LA. And so it was like, live in the suburbs or go back to South LA. And uh, so I guess out of fear, I, uh, I was able to maintain my academic scholarship and um, finish that out and I graduated. And like, so I had the school stuff down, but like, I couldn't get the body stuff down, couldn't get the food stuff down. And so I gained that freshman 15, another 30 in my sophomore year. By the time I graduated, I, I don't really know how much I weighed, but I was probably almost about 300 pounds. And um, I transitioned into um, into my young adult life and, and had what felt like success. I was doing better than you know a lot of people in my family at that point in time. I was getting a lot of praise, you know, from people in my family, and so it felt like success. Um, I spent most of my life trying to um, trying to get the girl in some way, shape, or form, and you know, trying to get my uh, somehow. If I had the girl, the girl, if I found a girl that liked me the way I was, then cool. If I uh, if I lost the weight, then I would get the girl, and if I got the money, then somehow I could manipulate my way into both, and um, you know. So I spent a lot of my young adult life sort of chasing these things, started to check some of those boxes. As we learn, those outside things don't fix us. Um, so every, every relationship that I, that I went to, every job that I went to, there I was. And um, I, um, I still had that emptiness inside. You guys have taught me that language, that God-sized hole, and I tried a lot of different things to, to fill that God-sized hole. And a certain number on my W-2 didn't fix that God-sized hole. Um, a certain set of friends didn't fix that God-sized hole. Um, long, the long and short of it is I thought that moving across the country to Los Angeles was going to fix that God-sized hole. So we know how that goes. You guys have taught me the language. I did a geographic. Um, I came, uh, I came out to California. Uh, I was sleeping on my grandmother's couch in South Central LA for a little while. Um, my mom, I say all these crazy stuff about my family and stuff like that, which is all true, but my mom is like a soldier. She's a rider, and she's been with me since day one, and we have a great adult relationship today, thanks to the program. Um, but I kind of sat around for like maybe three months trying to uh, live out some sort of uh, fantasy about what California life was going to be. I was going to, I was going to ride up the coasts <laughs> and do this and that, and go to San Francisco, do a tour and all that. And I just ended up sitting around my grandmother's house, eating and smoking weed and stuff like that. And uh, about two or three months into it, my mom was like, "You know, we work in this family. <laughs> get your ass up and get a job." <laughs> So I started work, and I ended up, uh, Higher Power put me in this industry um, that I still work in today, and it was kind of like a God shot the way it, the same sort of thing that I talk about hearing God through other people and, like, hearing the message or hearing the story 
um, I kind of, before I knew how to use, before I knew what was happening and before I had the language around it or before I even stepped into the 12 steps, that sort of thing happened uh, on the career front. And uh, my industry that I work in sort of pulled me into it um, through a number of different people. And um, I started to achieve some success. So there I go. I'm back on my way. Still trying to do the dieting thing and control my body because I'm still looking for the girl. Um, that never worked until I figured, until I got to OA. But um, you know, I started making that money, and wow, what a what a way to um, what a way to not deal with the real issues than to have some some cash flow, right? Um, to uh, exercise to try to fill that that guy size hole with uh, some cash flow. So, long and short of it is, I, I moved down to Orange County. Got this luxury apartment, switched companies, you know, started to make a lot more money. Got this girl, we lived together, and like somehow, start after checking all of those boxes, my life just kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And my life basically consisted of waking up, smoking weed, going to Chick fil A, eating fried food for breakfast drinking my sweet drinks, doing the bare minimum with the girlfriend to get what I wanted, going to work high, waiting for lunchtime so I can smoke and eat. Uh, I used to do weird shit like take showers before I went back to work because I didn't want to smell like drugs and stuff. And, um, you know, I would go back, I would do the bare minimum for the rest of the afternoon, and it was just like a countdown to where I could go get my, my fix. And my fix was... The best weed in California, uh, uh, Papa John's pizza, a two liter of Pepsi, and some like ice cream or some some yogurt or frozen yogurt. Uh, I was big on yogurt land at that time. Um, you know, it's just like my my best relationships were like, and I love servers. I came out of the server the service industry, so no disrespect, but like my like best relationships and stuff were like the servers at IHOP and stuff, where that were <laughs> that were so kind and gentle to me. Like when I would sneak in there at like one in the morning, trying to get my fourth or fifth meal, you know. And uh, you know, I think you can only live like that for for so long until you you know you go something's got to give and um you know this is sort of the story of me the longer version since i have so much time here the long version of of me approaching my bottom which i probably haven't gone into this much detail before but um i um i started to reach out for help um i called a famous doctor that has a famous talk show and radio show and uh, i won't say the names due to the traditions of the program but uh uh, I said I have issues I have issues with weed I have issues with food I have issues with sex I have issues with spending and this uh, doctor this famous doctor uh, sort of told me on the air that hey this is all the same stuff you know it's all the same thing and I, and I wasn't really, really willing to hear that and I was like no like no nah. and he said you know so like through me not really listening to his message he sort of um, he's conceded and said, well, maybe if you stop smoking weed, then you'll stop eating. So I, uh, I found, I, I started reaching out for help. I didn't get the help. Eventually I landed in Marijuana Anonymous and my goal was to, to lose weight. So I went to MA <laughs> to lose weight. True story. Don't tell my MA people that. Um, 
But um, I ended up getting sober uh, from all drugs and alcohol um, through MA and, and AA. And uh, damn, I needed that. I needed that to get the clarity. And um, what I didn't really talk about in terms of my bottom was actually what happened was I went on my tear. Before I got to the rooms, I went on my tear of self-sabotage. I disrespectfully broke up with the girl, sent her packing. I gave up my luxury apartment. I requested a transfer of my job that didn't work out well. Um, when it was all said and done, I woke up back on my grandmother's plastic-covered couch in South Central Los Angeles. 30-something years old, um, all that success, whatever, and um, that was my bottom. That was my actual bottom, and I woke up on that couch and sort of like, you know, I don't know if anybody slept on a plastic-covered couch. It's not comfortable. You know, it, it, it pinches your skin in the middle of the night. It's, it's, um, it's um, you know, it's a thing. It's a, it's a thing. So, you know, that's what propelled me to asking for help and seeking out help. And uh, I landed in MA. I got sober. I started working the steps. I rolled into OA, probably around 300 pounds. And I quickly, um, before I even hit step three, I quickly shot up another, um, you know, like another 30 pounds or so. And um, what I started to see through the lens of sobriety was that I was using food like I was using drugs. And so despite the fact that I wasn't using drugs or alcohol, I could see that I was still acting out. I, was, I could see that I was still trying to take the edge off in, in some way. Um, and I sort of started to complain a, about it to my sponsor. And my sponsor said, relax, eat some ice cream. <laughs> like, take it easy. Let's just work through your steps. Take it, take it easy. And, and I took that suggestion. You know, he said, he said, focus on what's going to kill you the quickest. And I, and I love my, I still have that sponsor today. And I, I understand why he said that. And, uh, but I took it to heart. And I ate a lot of chocolate, ate a lot of ice cream. I took a lot of snack commitments at um, my sobriety me uh, meetings. Um, I was the best snack guy in, on Tuesday in Mar Vista for a number of years. And uh, what a, a number of weeks, I should say, or months at that point. But um, I would go, like, I would bring pizzas for snack. And I would bring a pizza for the meeting and a pizza for myself. <laughs> and, um, you know, I just remember the voice of, of my sponsor saying, like, focus on what's going to kill you the quickest. Well, lo and behold, I went to the doctor. The doctor said, you're now classified as morbidly obese. You are pre-diabetic. You're at risk of heart disease. Um, you have sleep apnea. Um, you got to do something. And, um, you know, what really clicked for me was not only could I see the parallels between using food like I was using drugs, but it became very clear to me that I was killing myself with food. And um, that was enough to sort of get me into the rooms of OA. And, um, and at that time, that was what was going to kill me the quickest. And uh, I worked both programs at the same time. So anybody that, that thinks it's too hard to work, more than one program at a time. What do they say? If you don't have more than one program, you're in denial. <laughs> I won't judge you, but that is my story. <laughs> That's true for me. Um, and I was able to work the steps in both programs. But I came to OA. I sat around for a while. I went to meetings on the west side. People were thin and beautiful. 
<laughs> and uh, um, you know, I heard stories about bulimics and anorexics and exercise bulimia, and um, um, I wouldn't necessarily call myself like a, a huge binger. You know, like I didn't, I never really ate to the point where I would like feel nauseous or vomit or anything like that. But um, I kept hearing all these stories that that weren't like mine. And so I think I, I use that to sort of not take action right away. So I sat around for about six months listening. I heard enough. I went to one of the meetings in the cottage and I heard those 10 or 12 or 15 questions. And I heard enough in those questions to know that I was in the right place. Um, but I, I had a block in the beginning. I, I, uh, I was heavily focused on the differences. And um, I started asking guys to, to sponsor. I asked a guy here uh, that everybody recommended at the time, and he, like, blew me off in this meeting. Uh, and I'm sure it was just, I'm, this is years and damn near 10, you know, seven years ago at this point. But, uh, man, I took that. It's funny how we take resentments and run with it. I took that as a representation of OA. So screw all of you and screw all the guys. And these guys aren't trying to help in here. This is, That's not how... I would get treated in my other program is what I would say. And, um, I was like, I sat around for a while just kind of bitter. <laughs> and uh, I would just write on the little sheet that we pass in, uh, passed around looking for a sponsor. And I used to do that for, I think, probably about 30 days or so. And then one day I heard this gentleman in the, in the cottage, and some lady was talking to me, a little old lady. I hope she's still around. I can't remember her name, but I hope she's okay and still around. But... Um, she was like, how's your journey going? I was like, OA is lame. I can't find a sponsor. Nobody wants to help me. And then this guy started talking, and um, he started talking about recovery and serenity and all of this, like, really good stuff that was, like, beyond the body and the food stuff. And I was like, if you were in the room at the time, you couldn't help but hear that message, right? And she just, this little old lady gave me a nudge and was like, there you go. <laughs> God provides. Um, and so I asked that gentleman, his name is Jeffrey S., and uh, I asked that gentleman to sponsor me, and he said, yeah, yeah, that's cool. And uh, and so we, we met for the first time in, I think, Jocelyn Park, and um, he said, well, what's your story? And I said, well, I'm not an anorexic, and I'm not a bulimic, and I'm not a 10,000-calorie binger. I'm not this, and I'm not that. And uh, he said, well, you're the size that you are for a reason. It's clear that your body is getting more food than it needs. That day I went on a tear. <laughs> now, if I wasn't a binger, I was a binger that day. And it started at a bagel shop in, uh, in Santa Monica of Wilshire, and it ended at the Popeye's Chicken and Biscuits in uh, South Central L.A. And I sat there about 2 in the morning with about a half dozen buttered biscuits, just eating them one after the other in the night, in the street, with all of the people of the night. O'Ray said it once. He clarified it. He was like... You was one of those crackheads out there, and your crack was the buttered biscuits from Popeyes, and and that was that was my story. And I sort of had my white light moment, and I was like struck abstinent at that moment. And um, I went to sleep with a belly full of white flour and a head full of program. And um, you know, the next day I woke up and something was lifted. I don't know, I don't really know how how it works, as David G says. How it works is how it works. Um, if somebody was to practically say, how did you get abstinent? Like, what did you do? Like, I just came to meetings. <laughs> I just came to meetings. I was, on, I was honest. And I, I finally did what people suggested to do, which was to get a sponsor. And the day after meeting my sponsor and being vulnerable and honest, I was struck abstinent. 
I think what kept me abstinent was working the steps. I had had the example of, of, of the disease being arrested in my other program. And so it was really crystal clear to me that the solution for this program is in the steps. The tools are great. I love coming to the meetings. The meetings make me feel great. But the real recovery for me was in the steps. And this time around the steps, um, I was able to really strengthen my relationship with my higher power. You know, my first time going through step three, it was kind of weird. I had a man asking me to get on my knees in the middle of another, in the middle of a room with other men. And I just thought it was weird. You know, I just thought it was a, a weird experience. And um, by the time I had got to step three in OA, I was like, just bring it on, guys. It's like, I'm here, man. I'm here. I'm here for it. And, um, you know, some of my, my greatest moments in recovery really are like the resentments that I was able to let go of in, in steps four or five, steps four and five. Like I had um, the story of, uh, of my dad and how I was abandoned and neglected and, and all of this stuff. And, um, you know, it's funny how we typically start off with our parents when we, when we start doing our step four and five. And I was turning that over. And uh, my sponsor said, well, what if whatever happened between your mother and your father before you were born is none of your business? <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's a different perspective. Um, and what if your part is holding on to it for 20, 30 years? Wow. Um, and so, like, if I can get over my personal sad black American dad story, like, I can pretty much get over all of my other resentments. Um, my character defects, like going through that part of the process, um, that was like painful for me. And um, I, I can feel a little bit of that right now in the present moment. Um, you know, the hardest part of my character defects, I think, is just that, that realization that like the awareness isn't enough. You know, you get aware, like somebody politely makes you aware of your of your character defects and then like then you start to see how that shows up in your relationships and how you move around in the world and you're like damn I don't want to act like that like I don't want to be selfish and self-centered I don't want to be this power hungry guy I don't you know like I don't want to I don't want to show up like that I don't want to let fear get the best of me and like that that realization that like damn I have to turn these character defects over just like I have to turn my food over you know, just like I have to turn my body over and to like, you know, the only, the only really things that I can do are like the contradictory action, right? Or the opposite action. And, and, um, you know, just, you know, those things are lifted when they're lifted, but it's not me that actually does it. It's like a higher power that steps in and really helps me with those shortcomings. Um, but to see that stuff and those old um, safety mechanisms start to erode away out over time um, was really powerful. And um, the what was really powerful for me, my, my time going through the steps here uh, was steps eight and nine. I had made a lot of apologies in my, my first time. Uh, and, like, it doesn't have to be perfect. Like, it's important that we kind of do these things a couple of times, um, I think. Um, people have different guidelines on whether you do the steps multiple times or not. For me, it was helpful to go through the steps again and again. And, um, you know, the second time around through my amends, I had some financial amends that I hadn't really 
owned up to. And uh, OA helped me do that. And they were big financial amends. I'm talking about old employers, thousands of dollars, big, big, scary. Am I going to go to jail if I admit this? Like, this is serious. It's funny now, because I'm here. I didn't go to jail. <laughs> Not that y'all know about. <laughs> um, I, I haven't been in jail in a long time. <laughs> Not since recovered. Um, but one of my amends, the, the guy, this, I had to basically email a CEO of a major corporation, because the old bosses were gone. So the guidance was, well, email the big boss. Or write a letter to the big boss. And so, some CEO that I never met of a very large corporation of some company that I worked for in my high school and teen, young adult years. And, um, you know, he wrote me back. I had my, the guidance from my sponsor was to write, um, thank you. The guidance from my sponsor was to write, um, offer a payment plan and send the first payment. And so, I did that with this one. And uh, he wrote me the, lo the most loving message back and said, we received this, consider this your full payment. We're happy that you're on the path that you're on, keep doing what you're doing. Amends and, uh, you know, taken care of. The second one, I did the same thing, thinking like, Shh, I got this. <laughs> I got this, y'all, I know how to do these amends. No response. And the guidance from my sponsor was, well, you committed to the payment plan, you send that payment. And, I, you know, your brain, you know, us addicts, like, what do we do? We start coming up with reasons not to do it, right? Like, what if, are they going to cash my check? Is my, like, am I just going to have this money sitting in my account and I can't, like, how does, he's like, well, you can get a cashier's check. <laughs> like, you can go get a money order if, that, if that's what you're worried about. So I went, I sent that letter, and I went for about 12 months straight going to the bank, getting a, a cashier's check, sending it to this address, not getting any response or anything, any acknowledgement or anything. But I did it until the whole debt was paid off. And between the CEO wiping one of them away and me actually doing the footwork that we require in this program to get better, when it was all said and done, the like, the pressure and the weight and the boulder that was like on my shoulders, like that just like evaporated and went away was like super duper transformative, like super tra transformative. When y'all saw me in here in my bag, like happy, you know, <laughs> like that was probably right after doing those amends. So if you're sitting on them, there might be some joy and some peace and serenity on the other side. Um, I'll just skip uh, forward to, to steps 10, 11, and 12, and, and sort of, um, you know, that's where I'm at today. Um, so to get present and to get current, like, I'm in that phase of, like, living in steps 10, 11, and 12, and uh, super-duper imperfectly at this moment. I miss the old OA. I miss the pre-pandemic OA. <laughs> I ain't gonna, I'm just going to say it for what it is. But the recovery says... Show up as you are, get present, appreciate OA for what it is today, and give, give back, you know. Um, but I'll just make a plea. 
if you're listening to the podcast and you haven't been to the room in a while, come on back to light a candle. (laughs) If you can't do it for yourself, do it for me. Help me out. Because I'm all zoomed out. I, I do about anywhere between five to ten virtual meetings every day for work. I, I work eight to five at a, at a big sexy company and and, uh, and it's all day video chat. So like I really need to connect with us in person. I need to show up and show my flesh and have some accountability in person. So if you're on the podcast listening and you've been holding out and you've been feeling like maybe you can't come in because you don't look a certain way or you don't feel spiritually sound or, or it's just not convenient, come back and see us. Just come visit. Just come say hello. I, for me. If not, if not for anybody else, but for me. Um, but I, uh, I sent a 10-step, um, which helps me feel. I, I sent a 10-step earlier today, and um, which really helps me get grounded and, and remind me, reminds me of where I actually am at in recovery. Um, I finally got the courage to start doing therapy recently. Um, I heard so many of you, um, I have, I come from a background where that's not celebrated. It's not, uh, recommended. Um, I'm going to tell this one little anecdote about my mother that I swear if she ends up listening to this one day, you're still my girl, mom. I love you. I love you. Um, I started getting some recovery in OA and I started coming back and, and it was really, I was like, I was like high on OA, like, like I was big on OA, and uh, I had learned not to go, not to be that person preaching from the mountaintop, but, you know, I was one of those people that like wore that, that OA badge, and um, um, one day my mom asked me something, or I went to my mom looking for some sort of validation, is what, was what really happened, and uh, she says, do you see a lot of black men in OA? And I said, well, No. And she said, that's because black men just go out and work out. <laughs> and I was like, well, damn. What I learned in that moment, um, well, I mentioned that just to give you the, the sort of support system when it comes to getting therapy and things of that nature. That's the sort of environment you would think that somebody like that probably wouldn't endorse uh, therapy. Um, but what I learned in that moment from my sponsor was that you don't go to the hardware store looking for milk. So I'm grateful for that moment as well. Um, but what's going on now is, um, is like, my OA program was so much stronger. I was in a relationship with someone in an OA. All of my close friends were 12-steppers. Um, um, my, the impulse to go to external things was not there it wasn't it wasn't as large that impulse was diminished and um where i'm at today is like it's like every if when i'm feeling uncomfortable i i i've gone back to my old ways of looking for everything else before coming to the tools and the steps and a fellow or a phone call and um we that have been here long enough know the result of that, the result is nil. Half measures availed us nothing. And as much as I understand that intellectually, I'll be damned if I can't sometimes just take the opposite action. So I need people like Leslie to say, hey, get your ass to the meeting. Show up as you are. Um, I need the little nudges from Susan G., even though 
<laughs> Even though I don't want to hear the nudges, but I appreciate the nudges from people that have more time than me. But, um, you know, I'm at this weird, just this weird phase where, like, you know, the disease of more is up. Nothing is ever enough. Um, and I'm just reminded that surrender, surrender and honesty is the solution. And uh, I don't have the answers. Like, I don't have all the answers, and I need to open my mouth and ask for help. I need to really commit hard to sending my 10 steps regularly. I have some, some stuff. I got this new, sexy, uh, big tech job. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we want these things, these external things, so bad. And sometimes we get them. And then you, re- you realize what you asked for. And there's, I came from a place that was so loving and uplifting and an amazing relationship with my boss. Um, I came from a place where that, like, I really was given the space to continue to focus on my recovery. And, like, now I'm in a place where it's, like, go mode. It is go, go, go. And the relationships are not solid. It's virtual. It's all virtual. So we don't really know each other that well. There's no hallway banter. I'm leading a a large team. Um, It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. And uh, I think I walk away most of the days feeling like I'm failing at this new sexy big gig that I I thought I wanted so bad. (laughs) Like, really, I just want to be able to go to the For Today meeting at 10 o'clock on Mondays. (laughs) Like, (laughs) that's really all I want. Like, let me take a break here. Um, But I'm reminded of the time where I was in a work situation somewhere around year two or three. And I remember being at this company that I absolutely hated and having a, and having a talk with God and, uh, and to, to, to summarize it, um, I had kind of came to the realization that I couldn't really be of service to myself and I couldn't be of service to that employer. And I needed to make an adult, recovered adult man decision about what to do about that. And I remember having a conversation with my higher power and saying, I don't know what you want me to do. And this is no disrespect, because again, I come from the service industry. I said, God, if you want me to flip burgers, drive Uber, be a DJ, or continue on on this career path, I am turning it over to you. I don't know what's best. And I, but what I did know is that I could no longer be of service to this employer and I needed to tender my resignation. And I did that, and I, I see that, and I fa- uh, fast forward, um, I ended up, like in a few months, I ended up getting a new job, the job that allowed the space for the recovery, a job that doubled my income. Um, and what did I do? I turned it over to a higher power. So I'll wrap up with that and say that um, if you didn't hear anything else, and I'm saying this for myself. The solution is in the steps, and what I turn over always turns out. Thanks for letting me share. Okay.